0: All right, welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast on today's episode. Man, we get into a whole bunch of stuff talking about life, talking about, uh, you know, creating real estate wealth, losing it all, building it back up, creating a, a platform to be able to speak and teach from. Uh, this man has been uh, not only teaching people to be leaders of themselves, but how to lead others and uh, really how to take that leadership global. And uh, I I really want to uh, share with you guys today um, our guest, because he's really been through the ringer in his own life. So the, what he teaches to you today, what he shares with you today is based on real life lived experience and, uh, you know it's almost like that that book called The Art of the Comeback but uh, on today's show he has a he's an, a best-selling author he uh, speaks all around the world he has life works university and uh, I'm really looking forward for you guys to getting to know Don Cote PhD Leader of leaders on the show today, Don Cote, PhD. Thanks for coming on the show, Don. It's a pleasure to be here, Neil. It's great. So you're you're coming to us today from uh sunny Las Vegas, correct?
1: Or as we like to say here, fabulous Las Vegas. At least that's what the sign says. Right, right.
0: <laughs> Viva Las Vegas. Um, for for all the people that haven't seen uh an Elvis Presley uh uh, show on, at Las Vegas, but all right. Let, let's just move past that. Don, you are a family man. Uh, you've got four kids. Uh, I also have four kids, but you've got grandkids. You you have uh, you've been doing a lot of things, but for you, you know. And we're going to get into uh, some of the failures and successes. But your uh, big thing right now that you've been doing for a number of years is a LifeWorks University, but can you give us just before we get into that stuff, can you give us a little bit of background uh, where you where you're born, where you're from, raised, that kind of stuff? And and give us a quick catch forward to where you are now.
1: Gotcha. And so um, very blessed to, to be born to two very loving parents, but they were uh, neither of them finished seventh grade. So they were relatively uneducated from a mm-hmm. schooling kind of perspective, but they had a lot of wisdom, particularly dad um the uh, dad never made more than seven thousand dollars a year in his life um, so we were pretty poor but they never really let us know that uh, we had a pretty good lifestyle mom would wrap socks at christmas in separate packages so we had more packages under the christmas tree and there was always food on the table so somehow they figured out how to do that but uh, yeah. my dad's parents separated um, he was born in 1933 so that was kind of uncommon in the early 40s and yeah. he had eight children and uh, the boys ended up in the orphanage. And he said, hell no, I won't go. And he ran away. And so he lived on the street from 14 till 21 when he purchased his first house. And he never talked about that. He's died now, but um, he never talked about that period of time. But uh, I call it the period of time where he got street smarts. Mm-hmm. And so somehow he figured out how to overcome that adversity, purchased a tiny little 800 square foot house and um and he paid uh twenty four hundred dollars for it and uh fixed it up and sold it a couple of years later uh for for six thousand so if you just add some zeros you can see that's a pretty substantial amount of uh increase and so he purchased the second house and uh, he'd buy a house in a crappy neighborhood that needed to be fixed up and then improved the neighborhood but still bought crappy houses and he bought five houses uh, never owned more than one. He'd buy one, move us into it, fix it up, sell it, move us into another one. And um his dream was to own a house on a lake. Imagine that for a kid that was living in, you know, or in the orphanage, right? That's a pretty bold dream, pretty um, pretty high hopes. And uh and he achieved that. Um little postage stamp lot, so 80 80 by 100 square feet. It was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom cottage uh when he purchased it. And we were a family of five by then, so it was. little little small and uh, he was 39 at the time and he had plans of course to fix it up but he became totally disabled his body just completely gave out on him he said my mind is trapped in this body that doesn't work anymore but by this time i had started helping him do the repairs at about seven years old and i was going into high school and so on at night and on the weekends uh he would tell me what he wanted done and i would i would do it so we turned that mind my body we turned that two bedroom one bathroom cottage into a five bedroom three bathroom jacuzzi and mom's bedroom in-law apartment in the basement two-car garage he paid 14.9 for it it's worth 6.80 right now my mom still lives there yeah so i i all the time growing up and
0: this is all in las vegas
1: no, no, this was in New England, in Massachusetts. New England. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, that's great.
1: Okay. Yeah. And and in the entire time, we, uh, I didn't realize I was being trained this way, but uh, he'd come home from work on a Friday with his six pack of beer and he would sit in his lawn chair and he'd point to the corner of the lot. He'd say, we're going to build a shed there this weekend. And then he'd proceed to describe it to me. There's going to be a window on the left and a door on the right and a going to tar paper on the roof. He'd describe the whole thing. He'd say, can you see it? And I'd say, yeah, he'd say, great, then go get the big blue tarp, lay it out beside the place where we're gonna build the shed, lay out all the tools and all the materials, we'll start tomorrow. And by the end of the weekend, we had a shed. And so I learned a simple little three-step process. He never defined it this way. I, years later, um, kind of stumbled upon uh, it again that I knew how to do this and uh so he would help me he would create a vision in my mind of what the project was going to be whatever it was and then he would uh lay out a plan and then we would execute on the plan so vision blueprint action plan became my mantra and uh and, and he always said son pay attention I'm teaching you how to put a roof over your family's head you know get me the hammer get me the nails." And, um, and he always said, if you're going to be successful, you've got to be in real estate. And, um, and so I don't know how he knew that, but he did. And so uh, before I graduated from high school, I got my real estate license. Uh, never made a penny with it, had it for 10 years and kept paying the fees, but never made a penny with it. Uh, but I made more on my first rental property uh, than I did in my uh, entire year of employment that year. And so I knew I needed to be an investor. So I bought my first house in 1980, two-bedroom, uh, two one-bath, turned it into a five-bedroom, and, um, and started buying multifamilies, and uh, amassed a pretty substantial portfolio by 89 when we had the crash. And I learned how to make money in the 80s, and I learned how to lose it in the 90s, and I did them both really, really good. So I, I lost all my property, filed bankruptcy and, and went through a, a really painful divorce, ended up living in my BMW until I had to give it back. So I wasn't able to make the payments. But um, along about 95, I um, was, uh, had spent a lot of time in a pity party and I realized it wasn't getting me anywhere. So I pulled up my big boy panties and I reached out to a guy who had been an informal mentor of mine in the mid 80s. And I hadn't seen him for 10 years. And uh, it took a lot of courage, actually. Um, and I reached out to him and I said, Sammy, can I buy a cup of coffee? And he very graciously agreed. And we got together and I said, I've lost everything. And he said, Yeah, you and 80% of our friends. So we all, all the landlords knew each other in the city. And uh, 80% of us went bankrupt. While we were going bankrupt, the other 20% became three or four times richer because they saw the crash coming. We didn't. And they sold all their properties to us at top of the market. (laughs) And they were cash rich after the crash. They bought everything back for pennies on the dollar. And Sammy was a 20 percenter. In fact, he was the only 20 percenter I knew. And so I I said, I've lost everything. Can you help me figure out how to get back on my feet? And my dad always said unfulfilled expectations create disappointment. And so I had an expectation that he was going to put his arm around me and say, come on, kid, let me show you how to get back in the game. But he didn't. Instead, he asked me what I thought was the craziest question at the time. He asked me if I ever read the book, Thinking Grow Rich. You've heard of it, I'm sure, read of it, read it probably. And I said, sure. And um, he said, it seemed perplexed. He was like, really? How many times? And I'm like, well, once, how many times do you have to read a book? So now I'm a smarty pants and I'm broke. Not a good combination. And he didn't seem amused, as I recall. But he said, I think you should read it again. All the answers you're looking for are in that book. And so um, he said, thanks for the coffee, which he didn't touch, and he, and he left. And just before he left, he said, hey, I pulled a Columbo on me. Like, when we used to watch that program on TV where at the end of the show, Columbo would turn around and go, so why'd you kill him? <laughs> All right? yeah, exactly, right? And then and, and the person would confess, and we called that entertainment back then. But so he turned around, he said, hey, if you don't get it this time, i just keep reading it till you do. And I never saw him again, Neil. But um, I remember just sitting there like looking into the abyss, uh, the only 20% or the only person I thought I, that knew how to help me walked out the door. <laughs> and I just didn't know what to do. With. It was like nothing to do next. And so I, I remember uh, eventually kind of moving in slow motion. And I, I got back, I got halfway home and I was like, wait, wait, he's rich and I'm poor. This is a clue. I must have missed something. Let me get the book. And so I went to Barnes & Noble, bought the book, uh, went to my sister's where I was sleeping at the time, because I didn't have my car anymore, I was using her car, and um, and I put it on a pot of coffee, and I read the book. I got to the end and went, <clears throat> missed it again, uh, let me read it again, so I kept reading it over and over, uh, getting more and more frustrated, and as it turns out, what I was looking for wasn't in the book. Um, Carnegie, uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie, at the time, the richest man in the world, world's first billionaire, 1908, met Napoleon Hill commissioned him to write a philosophy of personal achievement which he did brilliantly philosophy by its nature doesn't have any how to i was looking for the how to what are the steps and so i uh, i kept reading and getting more frustrated and and out of desperation i cre- i i remembered this little system my dad had taught me vision blueprint action plan and so i did that and i created a a vision for how i wanted my life to look i'd lost everything so there was nothing to get rid of (laughs) it was hard i had a clean slate and um i started using this and literally about three weeks later i was meeting with some friends happened to be three women the interesting thing about losing everything is you know exactly who your friends are they're the only ones that are left and so i'm meeting with my three friends (laughs) And uh, they're like, you're way too happy for your circumstances. You have no money. You have no clothes. You have no car. You have no you have nothing. And you seem happy. Why? And I said, well, it's this. And I showed them my little system. And uh, and and they said, wow, that seems like it would really work. And I said, well, it's already working. And I showed them what was already happening. And they said, will you teach me or uh, teach us? And I said, sure. And uh, then a few weeks later, their friends said, what are you doing? And will you show and uh, Will you show us? And they said, well, it's my friend Don, and so um in no December February of 96 I had 17 people in a bed and breakfast teaching them my little system and I remember I didn't have a name at the time I remember saying saying to everybody guys this is just how life works and it stuck yeah and then it became the life works life mastery system and then I had the good fortune of meeting the only billionaire I've ever met personally, and uh, and his dad was Napoleon Hill's mentor, and Walt Disney and Buckminster Fuller and Edward Deming and, and people like that. And he said, "You have a course or a class?" Was a two-day workshop at the time. He said, "Do you have a school?" And I said, "No." He said, "You need a school." He said, "Do you like to sleep?" And I said, "Sometimes." He said, "Well, people in Japan need to know this information while, and you need to sleep while they're awake." so you need to go online and I'll help you and he he helped me every step of the way just died recently but um, he said uh, you need to go online you need to record all your information so people can consume it no matter where they are in the world at any time and so we started doing that he said you have a book and I said no you might you might as well be speaking Martian to me I have no idea how to write a book I was a C student in high school that was on a good day and there weren't a lot of good days and uh, he said, well, you need to write a book and I'll introduce you to somebody that can help. And um, and I met with this person and we never talked about the book, about writing the book. He was a multi multi uh, New York Times bestseller, uh, selling author. And uh, he said, um, uh, tell me about your program. So I told him about the program and he is one of only two authors authorized to write on behalf of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And, um, and he said, um, Don, this is worth endorsing. He took out a paper napkin and he wrote his endorsement of the program and he gave it to me. And it was late. I remember when we finished dinner and I, we were in a hotel and I went back to my room and I fell asleep with my clothes on. And when I woke up in the morning, hello, this is Neil. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... Worry. No worries. No worries. <laughs> That's my, my wife.
0: I'm uh, going to just turn that off. <laughs> <important. Yeah. laughs> well, hello, it's Neil. off now completely all good Uh, good. sorry let's back up and uh
1: people need to sleep and you you just fallen asleep in your clothes yeah and so uh when i woke up in the morning the table of contents was in my head like it was a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper it was just i could see it went to my computer i sat down i typed it out and within five weeks the book was on amazon yeah I, divine intervention, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what to call it. It happens every once in a while. If I allow the universe to send me those messages and I can grasp them and I can implement them, um, it m- magic happens. And so we've written three books now. I say we because my students actually, a group of my students actually uh, co-authored my second book, which uh, they each wrote a chapter. Uh, I had coached them, they went through my program and I coached them for a few months. They kept a daily journal about their transformation. They each wrote a chapter, it's called, it, they're all titled "Life Works." that's the, the subtitle is um, uh, Stories of Transformation from Around the World. We have people in Europe and South America, Canada and you, you, uh, United, uh, United States. And, um, and in, in 2020, um, another group of my students actually came to me and said, hey, we wanna write a book like the one that was written back a few years ago and it's called LifeWorks 2020, How Our Vision Made Us Unstoppable. So that one became an international bestseller. So very proud of that. I'm a co-author in a few other books that I've, I've written chapters in. But uh, it's, been, um, it's been a life-altering experience to be able to see in print, for me to see in print the impact I've been able to have and the system's been able to have on people's lives. And so I continue to do that today. But in the last year um maybe since last september um it occurred to me again download from the universe it occurred to me that i'm i'm playing too small and uh, or i was and uh and i had i've held many high level leadership positions in the tony robbins organization in the trump organization before he became president and uh and also i was the first speaker for trump university and i spoke for him for a couple of years Um, the uh the banking industry was really really mortgage industry was really hot in the early 2000s in 2006 i was the vice president of a nationwide mortgage company opened 56 branches in 42 states and hired and trained 280 mortgage officers with no prior banking experience education or experience itself and uh, all because i just apply what the the three steps are in the system but i've I, I recognized pretty early on that i had had the blessing to be able to step into a position, a leadership position that I wasn't actually prepared for. And so I frantically started looking for the the best leaders, uh, expert, leadership experts in the world that I could find. And I spent tens of thousands of dollars and countless hours studying. I've read over 800 books, um, trying to figure out how to be the best leader I could be. And then it occurred to me just in this last few months that I have a lot of leadership. There's hundreds of leadership principles, uh, leadership strategies, traits, skills, whatever you want to call them, some of them are better than others. And uh, and I went back to the, the studio and I began to record um, uh, training videos on each one of my favorite, um, the ones that have made, meant the most to me, each one of my favorite skills, and and put exercises into that to help people incorporate them. One of my favorite people from history is Benjamin Franklin. He actually... Put together a list of what he called virtues he spent his entire life incorporating those virtues into his own personality and essentially this is the program so it's a leadership transformation course i'm really really proud about the way it came out so that's where we are today i'm awful
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i didn't want to stop you through all of that um i know i let you going to go on for a little bit but I didn't want to stop you because there was a lot of a very uh, compelling life experience that you were just sharing there and um, condensing (laughs) yeah condensing oh my goodness I I want to just recap a little bit of that everything from your father and what he went through in terms of at that young age, you're right, uh, separation uh, in those days was very rare. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and for that to happen, that was a huge impact for him. And then to see how it ended up playing out for now your family and him building and then the lessons that you would learn out of that, um, you know, as he would teach you the the shed building process, um, Mm -hmm. how to build a shed. and uh and then moving on through your life now i oh my goodness there's so many things there i want to i want to just ask one interesting question that popped up at me because um amongst amongst the many and that is you talked about writing a book and other people have talked about writing books and you've done a number of books at this point in time what is it that uh that's important in the process of writing a book why why is that something that and this is something that i've heard many times over i've actually heard some people say look unless you want to write a book don't write a book but um but then the the other thing that i've heard is if you're going to lead people if you're going to be that type of leader speaker and that you need to write a book why is that such an important thing that that people want to write a book
1: two things come to mind the, the first one is uh, selfish in nature um you it's a credential right so yes. i i went back to school in my 50s to get my phd um not because of anybody would pay me any more money i became unemployable a long time ago but uh, i wanted to prove to myself that i was an a student so for me it was the credibility of being able to both for goodness sakes, Don, you know, you founded a university. You probably should have some higher education. Let's see if you can get that done. And so that was credibility for me, uh, for me with myself and for me with my audience. And the second reason, and, and probably if I could put a percentage, I'd say 98% of the reason why I think somebody should write a book is for the, for the reader. Um, so ask yourself before you write the book, What is it that you'd like your reader to walk away with as a benefit? Nobody's going to get, unless you're Stephen King, nobody's going to get rich writing books. But it is a way to get your message out uh, at a very low cost to people. Um, The information that I put in a book today, I could put into a program that would cost $10,000, but you can buy the book for $10, right? And so Mm -hmm. you can get your message out to a lot more people because it's much more affordable. And then if it triggers something in them that they want to know more, they can come and find you. They have a way to be able to find you to learn and get mentored or whichever whichever kind of program you create. So 98% of the reason that I would recommend anybody to write a book is for the benefit of others.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I actually heard um, Jordan Peterson actually said that the art of writing is literally the art of thinking. And um, and if you are able to write, you're able to convey your thinking to other people.
1: When you so there's two people that write a book, there's the author and the writer and uh, everybody's an author. Uh, everybody's got a great story, um, whether you had a privileged life and you learned from that, or whether you had a challenged life and you learned from that, you've got a story. And there are people in the world that can benefit. Not everybody's a writer. That's a set, That's a separate set of skills. So I remember Robert Kiyosaki uh, wrote the book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, yeah. and he sold 11 copies. And then he was introduced to Sharon Lecter, who is the co-author of the of the book that everybody knows. And she's a writer, a magnificent writer. Uh, her husband is actually—I I happen to know her personally. Very lucky to know her personally. Her husband is probably the number one literary attorney in the country. So there's tremendous resources there. And uh, and then he blew up. He he actually ended up writing a book with uh, Trump, which neither of them wrote. They were, they were both the authors of that book, but somebody yeah. else wrote it. Um, so again, if you don't feel like uh, to the audience, if you don't feel like you're a writer. Uh, then then find someone who's a writer and then you be the author. you tell the story. Don't let the story go untold because you don't have the skill of writing.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. now you were you were talking about the uh, the virtues of of leadership, and you're that there are many um, out there. And I actually heard a quote recently by a uh, Jen Cohen, and she said, she said that uh, oftentimes people are, you know, they they think that uh, education or being the smartest is the way to is the way to go if you want if you want success. And she said the, that what they found is that boldness is actually a better uh, gauge of a person's um, ability to succeed in life boldness is a is a better indicator than intelligence being a leadership uh coach trainer um and and uh coaching and teaching leaders uh can can you say something to that what what you've seen in terms of if people are like well i want to be a leader what is what would you say is one of the best indicators for someone uh, building and and being able to become a better leader
1: Success can't intersect your path when you're laying on the couch. So you've mm-hmm. got to get up and you've got to go do something. And I remember when I was working with Tony Robbins, I remember him saying, so a lot of times people have the objection, I don't know what to do. And he would always say, do something. And as soon as you do something, yeah. you'll be able to tell whether that something is put, taking is, yes. is causing you to be on course or off course. And then just keep changing your approach. A plane that takes off from LAX going to JFK is literally off course i've flown over a million miles and i've verified this with the pilots because i stayed at the same hotels that they did uh, when i was speaking on the national circuit and so the plane is off course more than 95 percent of the time but they land exactly where they intend to and the reason is because they keep changing the to uh, their approach until they're back on course off course on course off course on course and that's how life is uh there's no straight path to success Dad always said you learn more, much more, from your failures than you will ever learn from your successes because you already know that stuff. That <laughs> that is such a great
0: story. Um, so I have a uh, I have a, uh, an airport real nearby, a landing strip nearby, and and so a lot of these uh, training pilots will actually fly overhead, single single prop cessnas, you know these kind mm-hmm. of things, and um, and so. It was really interesting. I asked a a friend of mine uh, who's a pilot and was a jet pilot. And I said, I see these planes flying, but sometimes they're flying diagonally. I I don't understand what's going on. Like, they, you know, they're not pointed forward. They're pointed in a different direction. And they're still going that way. And he said, yeah, you have to understand wind resistance. And because if they want to go straight, they need to turn the nose in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. yeah what's it called tacking tacking okay i didn't even know what it was called but um i thought that was uh most amazing thing to watch these pilots going along in a you know pointed in a different direction but they're going towards the landing strip Mm -hmm. and i absolutely agree with you that action is taking taking any action is better than taking a perfect action everyone wants to do uh, what what's the right action for me to take? Never mind, take action yeah. i have to i've been I've been in search of this. I've been asking people because it's confounded me and and this is the question. Why is that such a hard thing for people to do? Why is it that people seem to enjoy their excuses or their sorry, sorry, their reasoning <laughs> rather than. Rather than just taking an action,
1: there's a much uh, longer story that I'll share with you. But uh, the short answer is um, because they have it backwards. Um, it's they they would rather have perfection than progress. And so I teach my students constantly: it's not about perfection; it's about progress. And sometimes it's two steps forward, one step sideways, one step back, three steps forward, and so. But you're making progress as long as you're still making headway. Um, yeah. So here's where I think it happens. Uh, you, If you watch a baby, you lay a baby down in the blanket, and then it will continue to try to roll over and, and fight and fight and fight, and it never gives up. It just finally rolls over. Then it crawls, then it walks, and it falls, and it falls, and it falls, and it falls, and it falls. But no baby ever just sat down and said, hey, that's too hard, that walking stuff, I'm just going to crawl everywhere, right? So they have a level of determination, that seems to know no alternative and they just continue to go put a bicycle in their hands at you know whatever three four five years old whatever it is and they'll fall and their skin the knee and they'll cry and, and the parents will say just just, just stop for a t- no i'm gonna do this right and they have this level of determination that doesn't seem to show up in most adults and uh and i think what happens is somewhere around the age of understanding kids get to this point where they uh, become uh, aware of self and then they become self-conscious and just think about that term for a second it has a negative connotation but all it means is being aware of self but when they become aware of self all of a sudden failure becomes embarrassing, and the possibility of ridicule by their friends causes them to stop trying. And then the parents say, oh, they're just being a teenager. No, they're going through a stage that should be eliminated if possible, which is failure is bad. I'm not doing that anymore. And so they stop trying. And uh, unless they can do things perfect, which makes you perform well below your capacity, uh, it's, uh, it's a problem. And yet, um, I have had the privilege of working for a guy named Chet Holmes. Chet wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine, um, one of the most brilliant marketers, business entrepreneurs that I've ever met. He died, unfortunately, just recently. But um, I became a certified business coach under his tutelage. And uh, he taught me how to find, hire, and m- manage uh, what he called rock star or si- superstar salespeople. And he said, they're very rare and uh, and you have to know what you're looking for. But what happens with people that, so you've got a sales team of 10 people and the top person outsells the other nine combined and you can't figure out why. What happened was they missed that stage. Um, somehow they had a sponsor, uh, mom, dad, older brother or sister, uh, uncle, pastor, coach, somebody insulated that child from learning the concept of failure is bad failure is painful failure is embarrassing and they just kept insulating that person that that child where they never got the concept so they perform at a much higher level because they don't think of failure as a uh, they were even taught almost all of them that i've ever met they were taught failure is actually good it's education you want to you want to learn every time you fail, you oh, this is great. What can I learn? And so their association, the relationship to failure or, or, or an unsuccessful attempt to do something just gives them information so that they can finally win the game, whatever that is. And so that's the long longer answer about why most people won't even get started because it's about perfection, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. In in all fairness, and those of you guys that are watching and hearing, I've probably shared this story before. I, I was 30 years old before some of these realizations even occurred to me. Um, you know, when I started having kids, that was the impetus for me to look at life again. And one of the things that it made me realize is that the things that I thought about my life and as a growing up and the pain and... You know this happened and that my mom said this and that wasn't good enough and and then you look at it and go oh my goodness that's not what my mom was trying to say at all Mm -hmm. she was she 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 thought she was spurring me on (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh and uh because now i'm gonna i'm a parent and i've got and i might say something and what happens if my daughter takes it the wrong way and it then it made me start Re-looking at all of those things and rewriting uh, those those thought processes of that script, I had, right? The yeah. script, right? And realizing that I believed a lie for so many years of my life, mm-hmm. and what I found is that oftentimes, oftentimes people do not want to look at these things, even though um, it could really set them free from a lot of this pain that they've carried on due to something that's happened way back in their past and um, they, they don't even want to look at it. And I've, and I've wondered over and over again, part of this conversation, this conversation of leadership is about setting an example for people to go, look, you can do it. Look at how many people have uh, rewritten their story, have hit rock bottom and have come back from it. And, um, and yet, I guess everyone is uh, looking. Have you found a magic pill for how to get people to uh, to rewrite that uh, those narratives?
1: There's no magic pill. Uh, that all as a coach, as a mentor, uh, you know, all I can do is direct people and hopefully, you know, be entertaining enough to keep their attention long enough to get the message across. But uh, right. the, the the process that we use actually is very helpful, and okay. we have more. People in the average become successful. So, okay. I've determined that there are four levels of leadership. The first level is what That's I call okay. self leadership. Until you can lead self well, nobody really is going to want to follow you because you know you don't. You, if you're not a good example, right? So, you've got to lead self well. What does that mean? Well, I've also discovered uh, that there are what I call eight areas of priority in your life and uh, everybody that i've met there's been a few thousand people that have gone through my process around the world nobody has had a goal or dream that hasn't fit into one of these eight areas so i feel confident when i share them the first area is health if you're not taking care of yourself well people can see that you don't have the energy you're a little overweight and that kind of stuff so if you take care of yourself your physical body well that's a good example and people start to notice and people start to ask you hey neil how are you doing that and then that i mean let's face it you can't be a leader unless someone wants to follow you right it just doesn't even make sense um if you're not good with your finances right that's a problem if you're not good with your romantic relationship in the book thinking grow rich napoleon hill says if you marry the wrong person you can forget about being successful i mean he doesn't mince words it's pretty straightforward um, I've uh, had three, two practice marriages. I'm on my third. Um, the first two, uh, I hopefully got all the mistakes out of the way. And uh, those felt like boat anchors. I felt like I was being dragged to the bottom of the sea and uh, and and really struggled to be successful. And uh, the woman I just met and married 10 years ago, I feel like we're in a hot air balloon. I just keep it every day. It rises more and I feel more empowered and and like she believes in me and I can do anything. And and, and so the romantic relationship, if it's not going well, uh, that's an outward indication uh, that, you know, you're not managing self well. Uh, and so your lifestyle, where you live, how you live, the cars you drive, the things that you, doesn't mean everybody should have a Learjet and a yacht and all that kind of stuff. But if, you know, you're driving a, you know, a 1982 Datsun that has a lot of rust, and I mean, it's probably a, Pretty good indication you're not doing well with your money and your lifestyle is affected Mm. by that. So, and it goes on, there's a few other ones. The hardest one is purpose. I think that every one of us comes into this world with a special gift and that gift isn't for you, it's actually for the world. And if you Mm. fully express, if you're fully expressed in your purpose, then the world is a better place and you feel a sense of fulfillment you can't get any other way. But purpose seems to whisper and all the other areas Uh, scream at us. Your health screams at you. So there's a lot of noise. Money screams at you. And you can't hear purpose whispering. So you've got to get all those other areas handled. Then you can find and live your purpose. And when you do, you radiate. People people just, you become magnetic. You become charismatic. People just want to be around you and they don't even know why um, because you're just emanating like that. And so self-leadership is the first level of leadership and then people want to follow you then you need to learn how to lead others that's another set of skills not the same set of skills as self-leadership and if you decide to take that on you would need to learn those skills good leaders lead others well great leaders develop leaders and so that's the third level of leadership is developing leaders And then there's something i call global impact leadership and you think of gandhi and lincoln and mandela and people like that and if you examine their lives like i have what you notice is they're what i call reluctant leaders um their message is so strong their commitment is so strong that they don't have any choice they're just thrust into the spotlight and, uh, and if you, there's a few uh, video interviews of Gandhi, uh, he's in a loincloth or a bed sheet and he's sitting in an ashram and uh, he just got finished cleaning the latrines and here he is m- at this global leader, uh, Napoleon Hill said, Napoleon Hill actually met and knew personally four presidents in the United States and he said Gandhi was the most powerful person that, ever, that in the world at the time. And so just, he didn't have any military, he didn't have any money, he didn't have, he had tons of influence, more than anybody else in the world, but he didn't have any of those traditional kinds of things. That's what I call global leadership. And I don't think anybody who could be a global leader aspires to be a global leader. Uh, they aspire to be a great human being and impact the lives of others positively. And because of that impact, they become a global leader. But it's another set of skills to live in that spotlight.
0: Mm. Wow. Or, it- it It's said that um, you can never stop someone that's willing. they willing to give their life for what they believe in. and uh, and I think we've we've you've given a great example in in Mahatma Gandhi, um, you know, the likes of Nelson Mandela, and you, you know, men that were willing you, you can do whatever you want to my body, but the cause that which I'm fighting for is much greater martin um, luther king, martin right, luther
1: AFA, king. yeah AFA, that's right you know, yeah they were assassinated they were willing to give their lives they they yeah. knew they were at risk there was no doubt yeah. they knew. even martin luther king is on tape having said they're gonna they're gonna take my life i know they will but it's okay wow that
0: yeah. is uh that is intense and it is clearly uh and and i understand the reluctant nature of it that that makes sense. I mean, I think for to some degree, every parent probably <laughs> understands a bit of that reluctant leadership. There are often times when you do not want to give of yourself, but uh your commitment to your children really draws forth an energy that you wouldn't normally have. And so I think people can even draw upon that and see, hey, mm-hmm. look, there that is within you to to do and to and to give and to be. Um, and, and I like how you've, you've kind of even been able to break down these different segments, uh, you know, health, finances, relationships. It's interesting because when I talk to people about the show, I say, what do we talk about? We talk about, uh, finances, fitness, family, um, you right. know, we, we talk about these things that are authentic to me and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's interesting that all of these are, are, um, are part of that and so um and then the purpose behind it really has been there have been so many people that in our current global pandemic have been um they're in a d de- they're in a disempowered context right mm-hmm. that they're they're really feeling like i i don't know what to do i can't figure out where i can go or how to make money i mean here we are at christmas time and people are trying to scramble to figure out how they can uh, how they can afford Christmas right and then there's probably lots of people that are sitting on the other side of the fence thinking how am I going to pay for whatever I'm gonna spend for Christmas they're already worrying about that now right um, yep. and so uh, y- you know I think there is uh, that is the context that many people are living in right now and is um, they're trying to figure out all these things plus, what happens with with all these circumstances all these mm-hmm. things that are in our life and i and i think that really overwhelms a lot of people when it comes to number 1 self leadership mm-hmm. it it overwhelms them at that point before they can even get to leading others or uh, developing leaders
1: yeah i have a uh, difficulty uncollapsing the concept of leadership and entrepreneurism um, my dad taught me how to use tools, right? Uh, when I was very young and, uh, nine years old, I built myself a shoe shine box. We lived in a very poor neighborhood, sketchy neighborhood. So there were a few bars in the area. So I snuck into the bar, wasn't supposed to be there obviously at that age, but I remember hiding like below the bar and saying, mister, can I shine your shoes? And I'd shine his shoes and I'd go to the next bar and then I'd take the money and I would go across the street to the candy store and buy penny candies and sell them in school the next day for two cents. So I was doubling my money at nine years old every day, and um, and I just became a ridiculous entrepreneur. And all an entrepreneur really is is someone's really good at solving problems. Then we look at the marketplace and we say, what's the problem that's not being solved or solved solved as well as it could as it could be, and then we just do that. And 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 you, it's it, it's impossible for me to distinguish the definition of either of those. The definition is the same for both of those. A leader <laughs> is a problem solver. An entrepreneur is a problem solver. That's what we do yeah Uh, you know and to the level that we do it we can impact the lives of lots of people and perhaps even the world and the economy and 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 that sort of thing and so all of us have the power to make immense impact in the world so i may be um i may have the privilege to talk to more people than the average person does that are optimistic about the about the future um, many of the people I have uh, an opportunity to talk to have said, you know, this being at home thing, right, has been such a blessing because it caused it gave me a lot of time to kind of think and and uh, have introspection and retrospection and and say, I have an opportunity to be able to to take a, a path, uh, another path and change my life, change the trajectory of my life. And so many people have gone gone on to make enormous amounts of money online, which probably never would have done that. Um, had they been going back and forth to the cubicle or the, you know, onto the shop floor or wherever they were going. And so um, this has been a time of tremendous transformation, not all bad in in my view. I remember watching the movie many, many years ago called Oh God with George Burns. And uh, maybe some of the listeners or the viewers will remember this. So George Burns uh, uh, plays the role of God in this movie. And he appears to this little girl i think she was nine years old at the time nobody can see him except her and he talks to her and while she's in class and she talks back and gets in trouble and stuff like that it's kind of kind of humorous he's such a he was such a great actor but it gets to the end of the movie and they're sitting in a hospital lobby and um and she knows he's getting ready to leave she's not going to see him until yeah, she dies She says before you go i have one last question he says what's that and he she she says why do babies have to die and there's a pause and he thinks and he says, well, when I was making everything, I couldn't figure out how to make an up without a down or a good without a bad. And then the movie ends, right? That's life, the yin and the yang, right? Yeah. So nothing, Shakespeare said, nothing in the world is good or bad, except thinking makes itself. So. so change your thinking, mm-hmm. change your world, change your life, change your future.
0: That's so true. Um, that That's so true. You know, I've personally, I, I look at this at everything that's going on right now, and I actually look at it as uh, probably the greatest opportunity that most people will have in their lifetimes is happening right now, um, because it is a time when all, all the greatest businesses have always been built during economic winters in times of great hardship. And uh, and one of the things that I've learned in in my study as an entrepreneur is that, hey, the when you build a business in a time that's really difficult, you're going to build it differently. So when things get good, you're going to be able to dominate. And so uh, I'm I'm really loving the opportunity to be able to uh, encourage people to build right now in any which way you can take an action any which way you can cuz you're going to you're going to be better for it and and so I love what you're uh, what you're sharing there I want to ask this question because right off of that if you had to do this all over again if you had to if you had to start all over again right now wiped out you're back to zero wh- what do you
1: do I would Find the biggest problem in society that I could possibly imagine. And I would organize a mastermind team. I would bring together all of the people that had all of the skills, the specialized skills, and the specialized knowledge to be able to solve that problem. And then I would organize them and focus them on solving th- that problem and uh and, and try to have the biggest impact in the world that i possibly can when you take the focus off self uh no matter how bad your situation was i remember being in the back seat of my bmw in the middle of the night in the middle of the winter in the middle of new england and thinking you know woes me how could this happen to me and and i'm a good guy and i'm a hard-working guy and i'm honest and it's you know and um and i went to my dad and my dad said i never told you life was fair you need to just shut up and get back to work. You have a million dollar education. I lost over well, you know, a couple million dollars. And he said, you have a million dollar education. Nobody can take that away from you. Just go back to work. Right. And so when I did and I took the focus off of me, it was miserable. It was mi- not not just because it was cold. It was just miserable in wallowing in self-pity. As soon as I took the focus off of me and I started to think about what could I do for others, um, the whole pain thing went away right or the suffering Mm. went away and uh and i just started to rise up like the phoenix out of the ashes it's a metaphor that's overused but it just felt like that it just felt like i was just rising up and um and then took a whole bunch thank the lord i was able to take a whole bunch of people with me and now i run a global business i have Mm. I have students on every inhabited continent in the world, and I do it from an extra bedroom in my house, (laughs) right? I would do exactly the same thing I'm doing right now. Neil, I just take out, as my dad said, just take out all the mistakes you made. It'll take a lot less time. And he said, he also used to say to me, find someone further down the road that you want to go down and follow them. Do what they did right. Don't do what they did wrong. And if they're truly successful, they'll help you because they're not intimidated by you. You can't take anything away from them.
0: Right. That's it. that is so great. I I was actually talking to, uh, to someone earlier today, and I was sharing I was sharing a bu- in real estate and finance, and I was sharing a bunch of uh, knowledge. And um, they were like, "Oh, thank you." I was like, "Listen, I lost a decade in my life, not having the right mentors, trying to learn this stuff. So uh, if it can help you, I said, that's brilliant. Because uh, sometimes it's bittersweet for me. I'll sit there and look at." some of these younger guys that are able to do this stuff and they're so far ahead. And I'm thinking, oh man, I lost so much time. Um, just trying to, n- not having, I don't know what it, TikTok and YouTube and this kind of stuff, trying to learn from, who do you know? Do you know someone that could teach me about this? And and having to raise your circles, right? And and uh, finding mentors in that. And so um, I, I completely agree with you in terms of find someone that is already going there because they'll be happy to pass that on. They, they want to share that uh, that knowledge. I mean, just as much as you're sharing the uh, the knowledge and the pain that you've gone through to to get to where you are. Um, and, and I want to ask about that with regards to uh, you've you've been through uh, a number of things and. How have you been able to really pick yourself up after each of those? Things? Like I can tell you one of the things that drives me bonkers drives me crazy is because I love solving problems, right? It, it, I get it as a business owner. you love solving problems. Um, but I hate problems that keep reoccurring that don't stay solved drives me bonkers. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this again. Um, and, uh, because, you know, it's like there's a lesson that I haven't learned in that. What what came up again, right? Um, what do you attribute to your, if when you get knocked down, what do you do to be able to get yourself back up again, pick yourself back up again?
1: Ironically, um, I didn't know the answer to that question. And that is the reason why I decided to get my PhD. So when I said to my academic advisor He said, what do you want your degree in? Uh, What do you want your thesis to be about? And I said, "Um, oh, that's easy. Psychology, I want to understand people. And he started laughing He said, apparently you don't understand about higher education. Higher education is about learning more and more about less and less. He said, psychology is this really big field. We need to find a little tiny little slice that you can become the global expert in. That's why you earn a PhD is because you learn everything about that tiny little slice. And psychology is just too big for anybody to do that with. And he said, so what do you want it to be? And I said, that's really easy. Resilience. I keep getting getting up every time I get knocked down. And I don't know why everybody else doesn't. And I'm fascinated by like, what is that? And because it was kind of invisible to me, I really couldn't figure it out. And uh, and I wanted to learn everything about it. And so one of the great things about the university that I went through is as they said, well, you can do a thesis if you want. We'd rather you just make turn that into a book, and uh, you know we'll help you publish and all that kind of stuff. Which that was you know that was done long before I finished my PhD, and I just kept writing books. But the the answer is actually ridiculously simple. It's the the root word of motivation is motive. It is your reason. It is your why. If you don't have a strong enough why, um, which is a consequence. And so there's always a consequence. I'd go to my dad with a problem when I was really young, and I'd say, Dad, I got this problem. He was a great listener. He would envelop you in his listening. It felt like the world just fell away. It was just the two of you and never met anybody like that since. But I would say, I got this problem, and I would tell him all about it. He would really listen intently. And then he, and then he I he would, I would say, What should I do? And then he would say, Well, what do you think you should do? And I'd say, if I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. And very patient. He would say, I know, I know. But what are your options? And I would say, I don't have any options. And he'd say, well, then do nothing. And then I would say, well, I can't do nothing. He'd say, really, why not? I'd say, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I would tell him the consequence. He'd say, oh, that's a consequence. Yeah, Hmm. I can see why you wouldn't be able to do nothing. So now that you know that you can't do nothing, what will you do? He never gave me an answer to a problem ever. It was painful. And here I am many years later, I'm grown up and I have kids. And I go to my dad and I go, why did you torture me like that? He started laughing. He goes, because you couldn't argue with your own ideas. He said, if I told you the answer, you could argue with me. But if you thought it was your own, and every time I would finally go through the process and I would go, ah, dad, never mind, never, never mind. I, I got it. I figured it out. I'm good. Bye. And I would just, and he would just go back to watching TV and, um, and it was brilliant, but I had no idea what was going on until I was an adult. And I have used it on my kids and, uh, my daughter still, my daughter's a ridiculous entrepreneur, like her father. She's been unemployable. She's never, she didn't go to, neither, neither of my kids went to college and uh, my son went into the car business he's owned two maseratis a ferrari and a lamborghini and a million dollar house and all before he was 30 years old and i'm really proud of him i never gave him a penny i only gave him advice and same thing with my daughter she's a single mom and she travels all over the country and uh and gives my my grandson uh personal geography lessons they've been everywhere and uh, and she is she works about 10 hours a week and she does. She's not rich, but she works just enough to pay for their lifestyle and yeah. that freedom. And um, and it's they both told me that it's a result of what my dad taught me that I taught them. Mm-hmm. Resilience. Just keep solving those problems. That's all there is. There's only two things that will ever stop you from reaching your goals. There's either an obstacle in the way or resource that's missing. And when you find the resource that usually helps you get over the obstacles, you can count it on one hand. and he used to say find some find him find someone further down the road he even call it a mentor but he'd say it's a lot less painful takes a lot less time and it costs yeah. a lot less money yeah wow absolutely <laughs> um
0: okay i hate to say this there's we've we've kind of reached our time there's so much stuff that you have shared powerful powerful uh I guys, uh, I hope that you uh, rewind this. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Go back and watch this again. Um, You don't need to rewind this. It's not a VHS, but um, go back (laughs) and watch it again. (laughs) But um, uh, let me let me ask the question. What's uh, what's next for you, Don? Yeah, uh,
1: we're actually expanding uh, our leadership program globally. Um, I just did a, a webinar for a small group and we recorded it. It seemed to go over pretty well. And if anybody wants to watch it, it's only about 15 minutes. It's been edited down. Uh, It's at lifeworksuniversity.com forward slash webinar dash replay. And um, and just take a peek. And if it resonates with you, um, then click on the blue button, make an appointment with our admissions department, and we'll answer all your questions. We don't have a sales team. We only have people in the admissions department. They're trained to be able to Ask questions so you can make an informed, intelligent decision about what's best for you.
0: Wow, that is uh, that is some brilliant stuff. And um, I can I can just say that, um, you know, I've, I've even worked for our correction system here, the prison system mm-hmm. here. And um, one of the studies that I remember that that they had done was trying to figure out why do uh, why do some prisoners, Just keep reoffending and others completely, you know, and and the number one key that they found was what you just shared, which was resilience, resiliency. And uh, they found that the and they couldn't figure out how to translate that. How do you know who's going to be resilient? Because you can take two people with the exact same, roughly exact same upbringing and one person. Will take this as a learning experience, and boom, it'll it'll leap for leap forward them, leapfrog them forward, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then you've got and then you've got someone else who will, um, or oftentimes you'll have people that will just reviticism, right? They'll they'll they'll
1: keep uh, reoffending, and um, and so. I think so one last, what one we, thing I want to share, which I think will really yeah. help connect the dots here. So yeah. I talked a little while ago about, um, you know, those superstar salespeople, entrepreneurs, those people had a sponsor. They had someone that insulated them. Right. The great news is that can happen at any stage of a person's life. Right. That's yes. what we try to provide. Napoleon Hill figured out that you need a mastermind team You need a group of you need a group yes. of people that are all focused on the same direction towards a same, uh, you know, the same cause, the same purpose, the same outcome and that sort of thing. So it really is critical to get around people that have that, that, that ability to kind of insulate you and keep encouraging you and hold you accountable to doing the things that you need to do to get the results that you want. If you try to do it on your own, I mean, think about, think about, Canadian geese, right? When they're flying uh, south, north or south, they fly in V formation. And what science has yeah. proven is they can have 71% longer range by flying on the thrust of the leader in front of them. And yeah. then the hardest one is the point person, right? So they all yeah. take turns rotating back in the wing and, tr- yeah. and sharing that experience. Yeah. If we stick together, like, ge- and we have the, the, the brilliance of, of geese, uh, we can go a lot farther if we stay together.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I I have read up on on their flight patterns, and there's a really interesting phenomenon that uh, if a one of the geese gets really tired and it has to fall back or stop, um, then what happens is there's always at least two that will also stop. Two other geese will also stop with right. the with this one. Right. Yeah. rest up, and then they'll continue. Or in some instances, they found that that perhaps that geese might that that uh, that bird might die, that individual one might die, and then the other two will then continue on. Mm-hmm. And they'll wait for that one to die, and then they'll continue yeah. on. But they always do that, and it's like, oh my goodness, that that is so need that support. How need in the that... world do geese do that? And yeah, right. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know what, I will say this about what you're sharing there. And I will put this as a testimony. Absolutely. A 100% of my, any success that I have is as a result of, um, you know, mentors and the team that I have around me, I can literally tell you that it, people can literally show me how to walk with swagger. You know, when you listen and, Oh, this is how you talk about this. And, uh, you know, I'm just dumb enough to be able to follow and imitate, uh, you know, in people that have figured certain things out. You're like, I'm like, I don't know how to do this, but Hey, this person has figured this out. So let me, let me repeat that. And, um, you know, if you're watching, you're listening, I really want to encourage you to be able to, uh, look to mentors and learn from them. You know, as, uh, Don's been sharing so much wisdom, you know, guys, I'd really encourage you to, uh, learn from that and and take and put that into action and if you want to find out more uh don where's the best place that they can uh they can get a hold of you
1: they, they can get a hold of me at d r c o t e com. at lifeworksuniversity.com
0: at lifeworksuniversity.com oh man don thank you so much There are really a thousand more questions that I could ask you about any one of those different items. Uh, Any final words that you'd like to share uh, as we as we close out today?
1: Great leaders know there's no such thing as self-made.
0: Great leaders know that there is no such thing as self-made. You need a team. Yeah, that is profound. I love it. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for watching. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again here on the Leadership to Wealth podcast.